0: Thank you for joining us for today's Real Life Today Bible Study with Dr. Brad Witt from the Book of Romans. Thank you for your prayer and support that enables us to share this practical biblical teaching. So grab a Bible, a notebook, and a pen, and let's study God's Word together. All right. Hey, we're in Romans chapter 3. Again, I'm glad that you're with me today. Romans chapter 3, get your Bible out uh, because, again, if you come to Abilene or if you join me for a Bible study, we study the Bible. So get your Bible out and uh, and open up to Romans chapter three, and uh, we're moving uh, I- I- through this this section. And uh, uh, this, again, as mentioned a moment ago in the prayer, this is one of the most significant and important chapters in all of the Bible. And so if you'll remember going back last time into Romans chapter two he has hit the moral man. He has hit the heathen and pagan in in chapter one. And uh, he's told them why they are condemned. And so as you move into Romans chapter three, he anticipates that they're gonna have something to say. They're gonna have some arguments, they're gonna have some defenses that they're gonna give. Uh, Both the moral man and uh, the religious man and and, uh, those that try to live right and do right and go to church and be good people, and uh, But what Paul's going to tell them is that after all their hard works, after all their effort, um, it's not going to amount to anything. Um, in Romans chapter 3, what, what Paul's going to tell them is that, sure, there, there are advantages for being a good person. There are advantages for living a good moral life. But salvation is not one of them. And so he starts here in verse 1. Notice, notice what he says. There, there's a the question. So he, he basically asks the question, Why? And he says, what advantage then has the Jew, or what is the prophet of circumcision? Much in every way. Chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but let every man a liar. As it is written, that you may be justified in your works, and may overcome when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. Certainly not. For then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And and why not say, let us do evil that good may come? As we are slanderously reported and as some affirm that we say, their condemnation is just. And so he's asking here the question of why. And uh, I was thinking last night as I was sitting at the um, football field at the uh, at the um, practice there, my, my son's 12-year-old team, his Harlem Pop Warner Bulldogs, are headed to the playoffs. And, uh, and so this is the be- second best so far, maybe end up being the best uh, Harlem Pop Warner team that they've ever had. And so uh, they're headed to the playoffs on the 23rd. And so they were practicing there last night, and like I've done for the last several years, I have a little desk that sits there on my steering wheel and I work on sermons and Bible studies like this. And I was sitting there last night and as I was thinking about what Paul's asking here, the, the question of why, uh, there's a song that came to my mind. It's really from one of the greatest CDs uh, of all time by a contemporary Christian group by the name of For Him, one of my favorites, by the way. And the title of the song is Why. And and all through that song, it keeps asking why. Do rainy days have to come and why and all those sorts of things. And that was the the song that kept coming to my mind. Because when we get disappointed, when things don't go our way, when things don't turn out the way that we think that they should or that they ought um, or that they would, we get disappointed. And when we get disappointed, the very first thing that happens is we ask that question. We ask it why. It's the first thing that we ask. It's the the question that keeps lingering in the back of our mind. And so to those who read the letters of Paul to the church at Rome, um, especially if they've been those who've been trying to live good moral lives and trying to be good spiritual, religious people going to church and synagogue and all those sorts of things, <clears throat> then they must have asked the question after reading what Paul has already said. Well, then, why, why have I done all this? Why, why, why have I tried this hard? Why have I gone through the extra effort? Why do I get up on, on, on the Sabbath morning and do all these extra things? And so, there are a lot of people today probably asking themselves that very same question. And so, what Paul does here is Paul asks a question and he answers it. And so, in verses one through two, he, he asked the question, He said, Why should I be religious? Why should I even try? Why should I be religious? He says, what advantage then has the Jew or what is the prophet of circumcision? And here's here's the answer. Much in every way. And he goes on to explain, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. Now think about that. The Bible, starting with the Old Testament, the Bible was given, transmitted to the Jews. The inscription of it was 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 entrusted to the Jews. Uh, he revealed his word to the Jews, and so I mean that wasn't just a blessing to them. That ended up being a big benefit for all of the world. And I had a person ask me years ago. They said, "You know, Pastor, if if there were no heaven, if heaven wasn't real, was not a real place, would you still want to be a Christian? Because a lot of folks just view heaven as kind of a." place where you go where you don't have to go to hell. And they're not really all that interested in going to heaven. they like to still probably stay in their man cave uh, with their TV and their sports and all those sorts of things. And, uh, but it, I was asked, if, if there wasn't a heaven, would you still want to be a Christian? And the, the, the answer is yes. Absolutely. You know Why? Because by following what this book teaches, I, I live a better life. I have a happier life. I have a more prosperous life. I mean, if you follow Proverbs, if you follow James, your life's going to be a whole lot better. Even if you do not know Jesus Christ. And so just from the advantage of having the guidance that comes from this book, there it, it makes it absolutely worthwhile. But then there's another question he's, they, they would ask. Well, then why should I be faithful? And he asked that in verses 3 through 4. Because, again, we know this. Um, the Jews were meticulous keepers of the Old Testament law. But the problem is they failed to understand what it all pointed to, who it all pointed to, the, the meaning of its message. Especially they failed to understand the prophetic, the messianic parts uh, of the Old Testament. And so their lack of faith is really seen most obviously in the rejection of the Messiah. And and, and, and even today, the, the Orthodox Jews do not care for like Isaiah 53. They do not care for those particular passages. And so uh, they rejected Jesus as the Messiah. And so Paul asks here, will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? And so he gives here a classic Paul answer. He says, certainly not. Absolutely not. Not going to happen. Because God's faithfulness doesn't depend on us being faithful. Uh, But fellowship, fellowship uh, with him absolutely does. You know, the prophet in the Old Testament, Amos, asked the question, can two walk together unless they're agreed? And, uh, and so if we choose to go the wrong way, if we choose to veer off course, God still keeps going in the right way. And the farther we go off the wrong way and the farther he continues to go the right way, the farther we are away from each other. He, God's going to be faithful, but he's not going <clears> to, <throat> but we won't be walking with him. And so he asked the question, why should I be religious? Why, why should I try to be faithful? And then why, why be righteous? He says in verses 5 through 8, if our righteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? And so uh, it's a clever, but it it's really doesn't make any sense. Uh, and Paul, <clears throat> Paul anticipates somebody uh, saying, he said, by the way, I speak as a man. In other words, I'm talking from human perspective. Um, if my faithfulness highlights God's faithfulness, then uh, then isn't my sin some way enhancing the world's uh, view of the uh, of God's faithfulness? In other words, by being bad, I'm making God uh, look good. That's what he's saying. Uh, therefore, my bad is really good. Paul asks a second question: Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? You know, um, wouldn't it be unjust for God to punish me to make the picture of His true character more obvious? That's basically what he's asking here. You know, man. Once man sins, he has an amazing ability uh, to rationalize what he we all do. We have an amazing ability to rationalize what we do when we get into sin. And so Paul says, you know, I could use the argument myself. Yeah, you know, I mean, you slanderously say I encourage evil. You know, if that were true, <clears throat> uh, then wouldn't it be good to call uh, good instead of evil? And wouldn't it be good to do evil as, uh, uh, be good instead of evil as you claim? Um, uh, by the way, folks, it doesn't ever work out for us when we try to rationalize our sin. It doesn't ever work out because how can God forgive us when we're we're not even willing to admit that we've done anything wrong uh there was a great Bible teacher years ago uh, by the name of Herbert Lockyer, and he he said basically God can say you know, Jesus can save the unholy Jesus can save the uh clean, the unclean, but uh, he, he he can't save the unwilling. And so um, Paul goes on here and he says, faith does not mean that believers can blatantly disregard, again, the moral aspects, the precepts, the the commands of the law. Then if they do, their own actions condemn them. Not in the sense of eternal damnation. Once you're saved, you're saved. Uh, You cannot lose your salvation. There is the doctrine of eternal security. But in the sense of revealing, again, just the fact that we still have sin in our lives. We're still fallen creatures. We are in the process of sanctification. I told that young lady uh, last week who got saved on the on the hunt <clears throat> up in Wisconsin. I said, salvation is a, is a present tense. Uh, it, it, it's always, I was saved, I am being saved, I will be saved. It's kinda like I am, God says I am. Moses said, who should I say sent me? I am, I am past, I am present, I am future. I was saved, I'm being saved, I will be saved. And so when as believers we sin, what we're just showing is that we're, yeah, we still have the power and the effects of sin in our lives. We're in the process of sanctification. And then he picks up in verse nine, we got to hurry. He says, what then are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged, both Jews and Greeks, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks after God. They have all gone out of the way, they have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb, with their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So again, we talked about this before. The law is a school teacher. It shows us we can't live up to it. And so the law points out our sin. Uh, I saw this meme a couple of weeks ago. And I've loved it ever since. I I wrote it down last night. And uh, it's one of those oops. And it says this, I'm giving up eating chocolate for a month. Oops. I'm sorry, bad punctuation. It should read, I'm giving up, period, eating chocolate for a month. I love that. You know, we all have those oops. I, I love when our children were little, they would drop some oops. But now oops isn't a good thing for a Christian. It's not a good thing for anybody. Uh, and so, what Paul does, Paul gives the whole world, he says the whole world, the whole world needs to say oops, um, to prove, again, here that the whole world has rebelled against God, is guilty before him, is deserving of the divine judgment. And so, what he does here is he paints the picture, real quickly, he paints the picture of a courtroom scene. Paul loves this. And um, in which all of mankind is on trial. And he gives here again the the four main components of any uh, judicial um, uh, procedure. And you know there's the charge, there's the indictment, there's the defense, there's the verdict. And uh, as you enter the courtroom here, the the charge is laid out for us in verse 9. He says, for we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. And so what Paul is doing here is he showed the religious folks, like the Jews, he showed that they're lost because they have not kept the law. And religious... R- religion, it doesn't matter your relatives, the rules that you keep, all the rituals that you follow, they can't save you from the condemnation that comes from your disobedience. As a matter of fact, he goes on to show uh, that the heathen, he's already shown that heathen are lost because they suppress God's truth even though they had the witness of nature, they had the witness uh, of the conscience. Uh, he's shown us that the moral man is lost uh, as well because Even though everything on the outside looks different, on the inside, he's no different than the pagan, the heathen. They're guilty of the same sins. That's Romans chapter 2. And so you have the charge here. Then there's the indictment in verses 10 through uh, 18. Uh, You know, Webster, he defines indictment as a formal written accusation charging one or more persons with the commission of a crime. And uh, if you follow legal stuff, and of course, I, I, I was studying to be a lawyer before uh, God called me to into the ministry. My baby brother is an attorney. Um, as you study down through here, there there are 14 different counts that Paul lays uh, at the feet of all mankind. But you can basically summarize them into just about three or four. He says, first of all, there's none that's righteous. None. Uh, verses 9 through 10 he says, there is none righteous, no, not one. What does it mean to be righteous? It means to have a right relationship with God. And that right relationship is demonstrated by how we live. And so we see it all over the society today, uh, the violence, the, the broken homes, uh, um, the, the, the the abuse, all those sorts of things um, that... Laws are not going to stop any of that. We've always said you can't legislate morality. There's none who are righteous. Um, um, but then he also says there are none who understand, verses 11 and 12. It gets worse with every, with every, with every charge. Uh, not only is nobody righteous, but there's none who understand. That's what he actually says there's none who understands. You know, if people really understood how serious the consequences of their sinful behavior really is, surely they would give it up. But instead what Satan has done is he has he so much has them under his control that sin appears to be a good thing. It's pleasurable, it's fun, and God's just a cosmic killjoy. That's why Satan has blinded their mind. They don't understand. And uh, there, there was um there was a Christian one time who was given the opportunity uh to um, an unbeliever rather was given the opportunity to receive Christ, to trust Christ. And um he, he told he told the guys witnessing to him he said i don't want to give up all my fun well oh, give up what fun uh he didn't understand that his lifestyle was hurting him hurting his family hurting everybody else <clears throat> and it actually cost him to be eternally separated from god i don't want to give up my fun that's what a lot of folks say when they're witness to they think, they don't say it out loud that they, they think it in their mind i don't want to give up my fun quit having fun uh no there's none who understands but then also there there's none who seeks god verses 11 and 12. Uh, those who have not been convicted by the Holy Spirit, they don't have any desire for God. There's no conviction until God takes away the scales from your eyes. There's, there's, no, there's no interest in the things of God. He says in verse 12, they've all gone out of the way. Um, there are really only two options in this life. Either you walk with God or you walk with the world. That, you know, that's only the only two options you have. You can't do both at the same time. Because again, remember a moment ago, you go your way, God goes his way. You can't can't walk with God in the world at the same time. And then there's none who does good. There are none who do good. Look in verses 12 through 20 as we get ready to close. And people might say, well, wait a minute. Don't you see all the money that's given for humanitarian causes? Don't you see all the work that's done around the world uh, to help people who are sick and without water and all these sorts of things? Uh, Don't don't you see all the, the work that is done uh, there are people that would read what Paul said here with that in mind and think, man, Paul, you've gone a step too far. But but here's the thing being good isn't just the act, it's the motive behind the act. And, and Paul wouldn't, dem- wouldn't deny that even pagans, heathens can do good things be- they can they can they can give to charity, they can they they can do good charitable things. But they fall short of being good because verse 18 says, There is no fear of God before their eyes. The the things that they do, their good deeds are not done out of a reverence or a respect or an awe for God. They're they're done for other reasons. Uh, There are a lot of people who give a whole lot of money, do a whole lot of charitable things in order so they can have memorials made in their image so that they can have their names uh, in, in the papers and all those sort of things, have the praise and the admiration of other folks. And acts, even good acts, that are done with wrong motives aren't good. And so you have the you have the charge and you have the indictment and then you have the defense in verse 19 because any in any trial that the accused has to have an opportunity to make a defense. Uh but but here in Romans chapter three, the the, the charge, the indictment, the proof is so overwhelming. <clears throat> Paul says that every mouth may be stopped. And um that there was a famous atheist and who was confronted one day. I mean, again, lived a wicked, wicked, wicked life, Uh, had a mistress, had children with the mistress, ignored them, abandoned them, all these sorts of stuff, sent them off to the orphanage. Wouldn't have anything to do with uh, taking care of them and and really being a man and stepping up. And uh, he was confronted with his behavior and how he had acted, how he had lived. And he said, I'll stand before God flat-footed and defend what I've done. Well... Got bad news for that guy. Nobody's going to have a defense before a holy, righteous God. And then there's the verdict as we end. Verses 19 through 20. So the charge has been made. All are under sin. The indictment has been read. No defense can be given. And so the only thing left is for there to be a verdict. And the verdict is guilty as charged. He sums it up this way, and all the world may become guilty before God. He adds, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Look here, guys. We are hopelessly, we are helplessly at the mercy of a holy, righteous God. And we are worthy of his wrath. We are worthy of his judgment. And so the only thing left, the only avenue, the only road, the only way that's open before us is to throw ourselves upon the mercy of the court. If you're here this morning and this is a picture of you, you've tried to live a good life, go to church, give some money, serve, pray before you go to bed at night, before your meals, try to help little old ladies across the road, those sorts of things. But you've never trusted Jesus You stand right here where Paul leaves us at, Romans 3, verse 20. You are without excuse. No flesh, that's you, no flesh will be justified in his sight. And the only thing that you can do to avoid eternal separation from God, eternal damnation, eternal judgment, is to throw yourself on the mercy of heaven's high court.